Well, good day. As you can tell, I am not your pastor, Pastor Caleb Campbell, um, but I am a good friend of his, a fellow pastor. We do a lot of work here in Arizona, uh, putting Jesus on display in our city and in our state. And uh, I'm excited that he allowed me to come and preach in you guys' sermon series, The Way of the Reconciled. And when he told me about the sermon series, I was actually really excited about it because I believe in this cultural climate, it's a, a, an important series to actually preach from the word of God with. So I'm excited to be here, DSBC. Thanks for allowing me to be here. My name is John, and I serve as executive pastor of Mission and Vision at Roosevelt Community Church in downtown Phoenix, and they send their greetings as well. So I'm not going to uh, uh, take too much time because your pastor actually only gave me 30 minutes to preach a sermon. And uh, first rule of cultural insensitivity is to give a time limit to uh, a black preacher. So we're going to go ahead and dive right in. Um, but it's okay because I, I think I got him back because as you can see, I'm, I look a little bit better than he does uh, when he preaches. But without that said, we're going to look at three different passages. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 27. We're also going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, 14 through 16. And we're also going to look at Revelation 7, verses 9 through 12. So let me just go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you. We give you all of the glory. Um, please, Lord, as I always say, please hide me behind the cross so your word will get proclaimed, your people will be encouraged. We can glorify you. We can edify you and edify your people and advance your kingdom. All these things we ask and we pray in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. Amen. I like to label my message for today, ethnic harmony or reconciliation. Ethnic harmony or reconciliation. I admit the terms ethnic harmony or racial reconciliation. For some, it may be difficult to even think about. It may be hard for you to even uh, imagine. It may stir up some uncomfortable feelings or emotions. In fact, some, in some respects, it's even hard to define what we mean by reconciliation. The word reconciliation has this idea of bringing something back to its original state. If you're familiar with American history at all, some may even argue that there never was a time when, for example, blacks and whites were ever reconciled. We were never seen as equal, with value, with worth, with dignity. Instead, we were, we were kidnapped from our native land. We were brought into slavery. We were beaten horrendously. And I would encourage you to read actual slave accounts, not just what people say about the slave accounts, but the actual primary sources 
from the slaves themselves. Frederick Douglass would be a good starting place. But not only that, our children were, were ripped away from their families. Our women were sexually taken advantage of. Blacks were seen as, as animals, as, as less than, as second class. And legally, three-fifths of a man or woman. Some may even be looking at this and saying, well, preacher, what do you mean by Reconciliation. Well, I'm glad you asked. I think that's a, a, a good question. I think reconciliation has uh, two dimensions to it. You have a, a vertical dimension. Somebody can be reconciled with God vertically, but then there's also a horizontal dimension as well where someone can be reconciled to one another. Uh, I love this actual definition here by Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil in her amazing book, Roadmap to Reconciliation. She says, reconciliation is an ongoing spiritual process involving forgiveness, repentance, and justice that restores broken relationships and systems to reflect God's original intention for all creation to flourish. I like that he has this ongoing spiritual process. And those three words are, are very important that it encompasses forgiveness, repentance, justice. And it's a, a, a restoration of some sort that hopefully bring things back to their original state. The idea of ethnic harmony is important for at least three reasons. The first reason is because we are all created in the image and likeness of God. We're all created in the image and likeness of God. So what I want to do is, if you have your Bibles with you or your Bible apps or whatever the case may be, I want to take a step back. Take a step back in time. And I want to start with the beginning of time, uh, the beginning of creation, the, the origin of human beings and civilizations, and yes, even the origin of sin. If you know anything about the book of Genesis, Genesis 1, Moses, as he writes, he's writing about the story of creation. And it's interesting because when God creates things at first, he's just speaking things into existence. Genesis 1-3 says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. It's amazing as he says things, things come into existence. And it's existence that they come in, they come out of nothing. God is powerful. God is amazing. He is the creator of heaven and earth. But not only earth, you see when we go down to verse 26 and 27, instead of just speaking things into existence, this is where God comes down and gets his hands dirty. What I mean by get his hands dirty, this is where he, he, he creates mankind. He creates male and female. He creates them in his image and his likeness. God owns the, the, the trademark of creation. It's interesting, in the original language, that, that, that word uh, created there has this idea of, of, of shaping. 
of, of forming, of, of, of fashioning something. And it implies an intentionality, you see. It implies that God had a design prepared plan for mankind. He creates us in his image and likeness. This is beautiful. If you notice, the sun, as beautiful and great as the sun is, it is not created in the image of God. As beautiful as the, as, as the, as the mountains and the trees are, they're not created in the image and likeness of God. The birds that chirp and fly around, they're not created in the image and likeness of God. Even angels, as heavenly and angelic as they are, they're not created in the image and likeness of God. The only thing in creation that bears the imprint of God's image is human beings. Male and female, he created them. We are the crown and glory and joy of his creation. But what does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does that actually entail? What does that actually mean? Well, I think when we think about it, it one thing it means that we are called to represent God. We are called to represent his character, represent his attributes, represent his qualities. We are to reflect God's image in the world. That's one thing what it means is this idea of, of reflection. It also means that we are meant to have a relationship. We're created for relationship with God. It's important that we think about relationship. We can say that God is a relationship. But what does that mean? Well, when we think about the one God that eternally exists in three defined persons, we can say that there's an inter-Trinitarian relationship. It's an inter-Trinitarian harmony. It's an inter-Trinitarian community. And if we're creating an image and likeness, we're made for community. We're made for relationship. So the image of God not only has this idea of reflecting God in this earth, but also having a relationship with them, but also a responsibility. And this responsibility for us is to be good managers and good stewards over his good creation. Some of you may even be thinking, this is basic. This is something that I've heard all the time. I've, I, I've talked about why are we starting with the image of God? Well, I think for many of us as Christians, we have this tendency to have what I like to call spiritual amnesia. We can tend to forget the easy, basic Christianity one-on-one things and think about something totally something totally different. So sometimes we have to come back to even the basics to just remember what the Bible and what Scripture actually says. And yes, as simple and as basic as it is, in history, people have not understood this basic truth. If that was the case, there wouldn't have been American slavery. 
There wouldn't have been mistreatment. There wouldn't have been not loving our neighbor as ourselves. So yes, as simple and basic as this truth is, you have to constantly over and over again just remind yourself. It's kind of like if you're a teenager and you're watching and, and your mom and your dad is constantly telling you to clean your room over and over and over again. And sometimes they may even have to come in and clean it for you to show you how it's supposed to be done. But you don't maybe listen, you may forget. So they have to constantly over and over, did you clean your room? Did you clean your room? Did you clean your room? And you're like, why do we keep talking about cleaning rooms? Similarly, we have to just be reminded over and over again of basic truths. And first, I think it's important to start with, all human beings are created in the image and likeness of God. This is the first reason why I think when, when we talk about ethnic harmony it, it, it is essential. The second reason is because we are positionally made into a new people. We are positionally made into a new people. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14. 14 through 16, this is a very important text to understand because here we have Paul, who is in prison, writing to the Ephesian church. And I love Paul when he writes because when he writes, at least in this particular book, in this particular letter, the first three chapters, he's given us high doctrine, high teaching, high theology. I like to call it the convictions, if you will. Very good stuff. But then he also shows us how to live it out in the practical in chapters 4, 5, and 6. So he starts pretty high with the convictions, and then he, he ends with the calling, the practicality. So what you know, and then how do you actually walk it out? When he starts in Ephesians, I want to read verses 14 through 16, because it's a very, very important uh, uh, passage when we think about ethnic harmony. He says in Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, For he himself is our, our, our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he may create in himself one new man in the place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility thereby killing the hostility. It's important when we think about how we are positionally made into one new man, the Apostle Paul here is arguing specifically in this whole section of 11 through 22, he's arguing that Jesus' death reconciled Jews and, and, and Gentiles to God and also to one another. You see the vertical and also the horizontal dimension that I mentioned earlier. He did this by making the two groups, the two people groups, into one new man. If you know anything about Jews and Gentiles, they had a, a lot of tension. 
They had a lot of uh, tension with one another, a lot of hostility. And actually, in this context, too, they were separated from one another. In the temple, there was this dividing wall that actually separated the Gentiles and also the Jewish people. It was an actual separation. And this dividing wall that Paul is talking about, and he's using this to show how Jesus can break down all barriers, even in this context between two ethnic groups, Jews and Gentiles. When we think about dividing walls, I think there's many different dividing walls, even in our day right now, even in our day in history. I mean, sin and, 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 and racism, for instance, that would be uh, an example of a huge dividing wall between one another. But not only in our, in our day right now, but also back in the day. I know the SBC day, you guys are, or at least some of you are, are doing a book study through a book called The Color of Compromise. So spoiler alert, if you are, haven't got to chapter three yet, Jamar Tisby in his book, he, he, he talks about a particular story that happened in history. There was a man by the name of Richard Allen and Absalom Jones. Richard Allen is known to be the first black man to start the AME denomination, the African Methodist Episcopal. So there's a quote-unquote, what we say, a, a black church. But some would even ask the question, well, why is it even a quote-unquote black church? Why is it just not the church? Well, this story here can give some flesh on the bones of why, because if we want to be honest, the reason why there is a black church in America is because the predominantly white church, the dominant white church at that time, was in cahoots with prejudice, racism, bigotry, or as James 2 says, partiality. There's a black church in America because the white church refused to be the church. And here's a story that is detailed in Richard Allen's um, autobiography that Jamar Tisby talks about in the book. This is what, what, what happened. They were going into this, 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 this church, St. George Methodist Church in Philadelphia to, to, to pray, to do something good, to do something that we all should do is to, to pray. But in that church, there was a, a, a section for colored people, and then there was a section for whites. We can say that there was a, a dividing wall between the two people groups. So this is what is said in Richard Allen's autobiography. He said here, We had not been long upon your knees before I heard considerable 
considerably, scuffling and low talking. I raised my head up and saw one of the trustees having hold of the Reverend Absalom Jones, pulling, pulling up off his knees and saying, you must get up. You must not kneel here, Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones replied, wait until prayer is over. The minister said, no, you must get up now or I will call for aid and force you away. Mr. Jones said, wait until prayer is over and I will get up and trouble you no more. See, this was a, a, a scene that took place that when you think about it, is actually really staggering that there would be a dividing wall between, in this case, blacks and white people and the sheer fact that they wanted to just pray and worship the Lord, they couldn't do that. This was a scene that later on became what we know as the AME church. Because of this situation, because of prejudice, because of, of, of bias, because of not really being unified like we should, that started what we know as the African Methodist Episcopal. But why is that the case? Aren't we all one in Christ? Aren't we all brothers and sisters in the faith? Well, I think the answer, yes, we, we are. If you are a genuine believer, if you are a genuine Christian, if you are a person that, are, that is in Christ, you would have to say, well, yes, because the person and work of Jesus Christ is the one that brings us together, that has made us into a one new man, to a new community. The first Peter talks about a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Because of the death of Jesus, people can be reconciled to one another. It's because of the gospel. It's because of, uh, of the good news. So in Ephesians, what we see here is how Christ brings Jew and Gentile together. And if we want to apply that to our day, doesn't Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection bring whites and blacks together? Or any other ethnic group? Isn't there ethnic harmony or reconciliation? If it is, then why does it seem like that's not the case sometimes? Whether we look in situations in history or if we just think about our current day and so many different racial or ethnic tensions. It should be understood and it should be noted that Jesus' death destroyed the law and the wedge that was between Jew and Gentile, in essence, there was ethnic harmony. It was ethnic harmony because of the gospel of peace. Because of the gospel of peace. This is the second reason why I think ethnic harmony is important, is essential for us to actually talk about. And the last reason, I think, is because we all will be worshiping the Lamb of God together in heaven. 
because we all will be worshiping the Lamb of God together in heaven. So this is where we headed. This is the actual ending, if you will. When we look at Revelation chapter 7, we see this vision that John has. And in this vision, he says, I see a, a multitude of people that I can't even number. Different tribes, different languages, different cultures, different ethnicities. That implies they're going to be different skin colors. And they're all going to be worshiping the Lord. Salvation belongs to God. A couple of weeks ago, I had an opportunity to participate in a prayerful protest. This prayerful protest was, uh, was, was nothing short of amazing. One thing that I, I vividly remember as we walked from neighborhood ministries onto the state capitol. And as we're walking, I'm seeing hundreds, thousands of people. And as they're talking to each other, laughing with each other, holding up signs because of the injustices that are taking place in our current cultural climate, we get to the Capitol. And when we get to the Capitol, I'm talking thousands of people. There's singing, there's worshiping the Lord, there's prayer. And then there's a gospel proclamation. Very historic event for the city of Phoenix. One of the things I vividly remember is as I, as I looked around, I see white, black, Hispanic, Asian, all different types of people worshiping and singing songs to God. As the leaders that are there are calling out the different injustices that are taking place in the world. It was a modern day application of what we see in Revelation 7. If we understand that Jesus is the bridegroom, if you will, and the church is the bride. If Revelation 7 is true, then we would have to say Jesus is, is married, <laughs> is covenanted to a multicultural bride. He is in relationship with a diverse people. He's not married to one ethnic group. He's married to a whole host of, 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 of diverse people. This is the beauty of what the gospel does when it brings people together, different people from different ethnicities into harmony. Ethnic harmony. So at least for three reasons, maybe there's even more, but at least for three reasons we can say that ethnic harmony or racial reconciliation is, is, is important. And if we want to walk this way of the way of the reconciled, 
we have to at least start with understanding on what unites us, but also our, our, our differences. So before I, I, I close, here's two things that I think, based upon all the things that I've just said, here's two things that we can, that I want to encourage you with and I want to include, conclude with. The first being, if everything of what I said is, is true, that one, we are all created in the image and likeness of God. Two, we are all positionally made into a new family. And three, we all will be worshiping the Lamb of God together. Then I would have to say that racist churches and racist church members are not accepted in the kingdom of God. Racist churches and racist church members are not accepted in the kingdom of God. Many different people want to give excuses. They want to sweep things under the rug. They say things like we shouldn't talk about race. But I just showed you that there is going to be a multicultural bride in heaven worshiping Jesus. If that is true, if that is the case, then we have to be able to have an honest, open conversation about this. And in history, there's been many different churches and church members that has propagated racism, injustice, evil, and what I'm going to just call flat-out sin. Racist churches and racist church members, they do not have a place in the kingdom of God. But here's the good thing. If you are racist, if you do have racist tendencies, if you're a recovering racist, there's always room at the foot of the cross. There's always room at the foot of Jesus. You can repent. You can believe and you can be made new. You can be into this covenant people. But if you even struggle with me even saying the word racist, well, maybe you got to check yourself. First Corinthians tells us that we need to check ourselves, examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. If you look down upon people, if you, if you, if you scrunch your nose at people that look different than you, then maybe that's something more wrong with you than them. Racist churches and racist church members are not accepted in the kingdom of God. They're just not. But what is accepted is ethnic harmony in the new heavens and the new earth. Listen, the SBC, I know I'm a guest, but this is really meant to be an encouragement. So if you are white and you are just trying to figure things out, maybe you struggle with racism in your heart, I want to encourage you to confess your sin and go to the foot of Jesus. Go to the cross. There's forgiveness there. There's peace there. There's grace there. There's mercy there. There's love there.
we can all find healing at the foot of the cross. Another thing that I think, based upon everything that I have said, is we can find refuge in the God of comfort. We can find refuge in the God of comfort. Now, what I have in mind, I think that definitely applies for for all of us. But specifically, as I think about black teenagers that are growing up in 2020, that have had a, a, a crazy year. Some didn't have the traditional graduation that they were supposed to have. They didn't, wasn't able to go on prom like they thought they were. It's been a crazy year, not to mention different murders, public lynchings caught on video, caught on tape for people to watch. As we think about Ahmaud Arbery and, and, and Breonna Taylor and, and George Floyd, I just want to give a word to encouragement for if you are a, a black teenager out there that's just dealing with a lot because of 2020, I want to encourage you that you can find refuge in God. God is our refuge. He sees you. He hears you. I'm sure you feel like maybe a lot of people don't know what you're going through. But I'm willing to bet, and I'm willing to bank my life on it, that God does. So even though you may be even scared to to go driving or just walk out your house or just to go jog, understand that you can still find refuge in God. As we think about black adults, male or, or female, in this time, in this season, there's a lot of de- depression going on. There's a lot of anxiety, I'm sure. But my encouragement for you, because based upon everything I said is true, you still can find refuge in the God of comfort. First Peter 5, 7 tells us to, to cast all of our worries, all of our anxieties on the Lord because he cares for us. I'm here to tell you, I'm here to submit to you that God cares. And he sees the injustices. He sees everything. He hears our cry. Many of us have said many different times, how long, O Lord? He hears us. He sees us. My encouragement is to find refuge in the God of comfort. In a lot of ways, all of us can find that refuge because ultimately that refuge is in the person and work of Jesus who came from heaven to earth on a mission, a mission to reconcile us back to God, back to God the Father. And in God's good creation, it was created good. But then sin entered into the world and and, and corrupted everything. It didn't destroy it, but it did corrupt it. It damaged it. 
But in God's mercy and God's grace, he had a plan from the very beginning to send a promised seed to come and take away the sins of the world. That's why John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. God in his grace sent a solution to the sin problem that we all have in our hearts. God sent Jesus to redeem us, to bring us back, to rescue us, to save us from the wrath of God, but also to save us to himself. That is a beautiful truth. But when he came to earth, his people rejected him. He was despised. He was crucified. And not only crucified, he died. But after the third day, he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death, showing that death has no hold on him. Sin has no hold on him. Evil has no hold on him. The devil has no hold on him. And anyone that trusts in him, repents from sin, places their faith and trust in Jesus, they can be made new. And then there's a promise that he's coming back to restore everything that's been broken. He's coming back to restore everything that has been broken. Listen, the gospel message is for all people, all types of people. No matter with ethnic group, age group, gender, the gospel is for everybody. My encouragement, if you're watching, to if you have not heard that message, or maybe you've heard it for the thousandth time, let this be the day that you repent and trust in Jesus. So you can have life and have life more abundantly. Repent from your sin. Repent from your lust. Repent from your racism. Repent from your prejudice. Repent from anything that is holding you back from God. In Genesis 12, the word says that all of the families of the earth will, will, will be blessed through this man named Abraham, the father of faith. All different types of, of family, a multicultural, multi-ethnic. Ethnic harmony matters because this is the storyline of the Bible. And as we think about this, as we press into hard conversations, let us understand the good news of Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. We give you the praise. We give you all the glory, Lord. I thank you for all that you have done in sending your son Jesus for anyone. I pray as we have this conversation around reconciliation, around racism, around any different thing, Lord, I pray that we can really hone in on it. 
we can really talk about it. We can really honestly not be ashamed, not be guilted, but have honest dialogue and conversation for real, authentically. So we thank you, Lord. We give you all the praise, give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.